Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 39, Oshkosh Like a Pro. Flying to AirVenture in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, or as we just typically call it, Oshkosh to the EAers, flying there in your own airplane is one of the great privileges and thrills that pilots have, and to arrive in your own Sonics or your own home built, that's like the pinnacle of every EAer. Flying into Oshkosh can be just a little bit overwhelming to a newcomer, especially those that, that plan to fly in and camp at the airplane or uh, somewhere on the grounds. We'll go over our best tips to make the planning and the execution of the trip run a little bit smoother, help you navigate the experience, and do Oshkosh like a seasoned airshow attendee. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonics 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me today are my two good buddies, John Gillis and Gary Motley. John is best known for his custom touches, including his speed cowl, his tilt-back canopy, and toe brakes. And John, uh, you've flown your YX, what, like four or five times to Oshkosh now, right? Uh, four times, and this will be my fifth year coming in. So are you ready to go? Oh, yeah. Plane's tuned up. I haven't packed yet, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Flight planning is done. Ready to go. All right. Awesome. Gary Motley is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary's flown into Oshkosh for years and probably has more experience than both of us put together. <laughs> Gary, how's the plane flying? Oh, it's doing wonderful. I'm very happy with it. Um, the engine's just humming along and doing really good. Um, just, you know, sorting out the little odds and ends, really trying to nail down what kind of fuel flows I got. And I'll, I'll get a much better idea uh, with this trip going forward and back, so I should be able to get that all fine-tuned. Good. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that beast in person. Yeah, and get some rides in it. I think you're going to like it. The view is outstanding. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. Can't wait. Hey, Gary, I'm looking for that ride this weekend when you come down. I'm planning on it. Everybody who wants to go. Okay. Well, uh, as we kick off this Oshkosh Like a Pro topic, uh, I just want to kind of briefly talk about the Sonics event schedule at the show. And then we'll get into the main topic. So just right up front, there's a few Sonic-specific items, and I'm going to run down the list here. So starting the starting off, the weekend before the show formally opens, Sunday is the open house and the homecoming. That's from 10 to 2 over at the Sonics headquarters, and that's on the far side of the, of the, uh, the airfield from where the main showgrounds are. Uh, go to their website. You can get all the instructions for how to arrive, where to park, uh, all that kind of stuff. On Tuesday, from 1 to 2.15, John Monette is going to give his AeroV and AeroV Turbo update. He's going to do that in the forum area. On Wednesday, we've got a number of items uh, starting off at 11 o'clock on the flight line right next to the Sonics booth. That's the Sonics Builder and Pilots annual membership meeting. And that'll run 45 minutes to an hour or so right there by the booth. At 11.30, there will be another Sonics forum. That's the fleet overview that the factory is going to give. At 1 o'clock, there'll be a um, Sonics Builder Forum. That's Jim Hickey. He's going to talk about his Alaska Highway trip. And then when he's done in the same area, the home-built hangar, 
Isaac is going to do his talk at 2.30 about his building project. And then in a separate location, I guess you're going to have to choose, also at 2.30, John Monad is going to be talking about their UAV projects in their Sonics Aerospace and UAV update. So lots of stuff to do on Wednesday. And then, of course, on Wednesday evening is the, the foundation party over at Wayne Daniels on the opposite side of the airfield. So Wednesday is going to be a pretty uh, Sonics-intensive day. You could uh, go out there and hang out with the factory pretty much all day if you wanted to. Thursday, they have a couple more forums, one at 10 o'clock, and that's the Sonics Experience. Kerry is going to do that one. At 1 o'clock, there's another forum, and that's the Subsonics Personal Jet Forum. Uh, John Corneal is going to do that. And then after that forum ends, at 3 o'clock, back over at Sonics headquarters, they're going to do their Subsonics Factory Seminar. And that's a pre-register sort of by, uh, by invite only. So if you're interested in going to that, talk to the factory before Oshkosh. They'll get you on the list. They're going to pick up and transport from the booth over across the field to the uh, factory, do the forum, and, and be back a couple hours later. To round out the Sonics offerings, the Subsonics is going to fly in several air shows. It's going to do the day air show on Tuesday, and then it's going to do both night air shows on Wednesday and Saturday nights. And then uh, they're going to do factory tours. And so just like they always do, if you want to go see the factory and tour, you can just sign up at the booth. And they basically do those in the mornings. Times vary a little bit, but talk to the factory at their booth and they'll get you on the list for a factory tour. So lots of fun stuff. If you're thinking uh, you want to catch one of these forums or you want to... uh, Go see the factory in person. Maybe you haven't had a chance to see their operation. Highly encouraged to do that. Just a good chance to connect with other builders and and factory personnel. And just, I guess, as an aside, uh, I will be going to the Subsonics seminar. I think that's going to be really cool. So I'll be able to give you guys a full report if you don't don't happen to make it. A full report on what they say about the Subsonics. Are you going to buy a Subsonics? Well, I'm going to I'm going to work on forming that Subsonics Flying Club. So at this point, it's in the very formative stages. But uh, if I can put it all together, there may be a Subsonics Flying Club in the future. Here, you need to bring Mike with you. I really need to. I'm going to need uh, somebody with jet skills and deep pockets, and that says Mike all over it. All right, guys. Well, let's jump in, and uh, I thought we would kick this off for people that are perhaps new to EAA or home building, uh, they may not really understand what we're talking about, Oshkosh or AirVenture. So let's just provide a little bit of background to catch everybody up. Gary, just set the stage for us. When we talk about AirVenture or going to Oshkosh for the show, what are we talking about? What is this thing? It's it's almost now these days you need to think of it what it is not in aviation. And At this point, I really can't imagine there's anything that's not all-inclusive in Oshkosh and AirVenture these days. You know, if we go back to the history, of course, in the early days in the 50s of EAA, it was just experimental aircraft. But, of course, as the word got out, we started getting more types of good aircraft coming in. And now the military is participating. Uh, now they've gone on and they're starting to include all the unmanned and, and drones, if you call them, into the into the flight mix. We're seeing hot air balloons there now. We've seen sailplanes do demonstrations. Uh, we have ultralights. Um, you have vertical takeoff and, and landing aircraft. Of course, the military brings in all their nice new spiffy hardware that we spend billions of dollars on. So that's always good to get uh, an up close uh, impression of where some of our money goes. But it's it's just it's always difficult for me to describe it to someone who's not been there, especially when I try to describe it. Even my pilot friends, and there's an awful lot of them that have never been. 
to give them a sense of what this thing really is. I know a lot of us have been to little fly-ins, all the pancake breakfasts and things of that nature, or maybe even maybe even a Sun and Fun, which is which is a fairly decent sized air show. But when it compares to Oshkosh, it really pales. First of all, I got to think about the airport itself. You know, EA moved to Oshkosh. Uh, I think it was back in the in the late '80s because uh, they needed more room. They were just outgrowing Rockford that they were in before, and and so now you have an airport that is literally, you know, many square miles of real estate. And during this one week of the year, there is very little of that real estate that does not have some kind of flying contraption on it some vendor booth, some exhibit, some seminar, some classroom. Um, the list just goes on and on and on. The statistics they give typically are about 14,000 aircraft on the field. Um, you've got about a half a million people that show up for this thing. You have people coming from all over the world. Uh, I even heard rumors before at times uh, of chartered airliners coming in from Australia, just full of Australians. Um, you know, Concorde's been there in the past. It, again, it's, it's just so massive and so inclusive. Uh, I, as far as aviation now, I don't think there's anything that doesn't participate in, in air venture. So no matter what your what your real bend is or what you want to investigate or, or get involved with, that's a good place to go sniff it out. Um, it's sensory overload for sure in aviation with the sights and the sounds, especially the sounds. You know, when you deal from uh, the ultralights whizzing past, you know, with the, the mosquito engines to the radio sound engines, or when you get the military that comes by and does their flight demonstrations, uh, basically all, all conversation ceases because you can't talk over the noise. Uh, the ground just literally rumbles. Um, so if, if any of that sounds interesting to you, you need to find a way to get Oshkosh somehow or another. Uh, don't think that you're going to see it all, even if you spend a week there, especially as a, as a new person. Uh, there's just too much ground to cover. There's too much to see. Uh, so don't get bummed about that. Just keep going back year after year or every other year and keep picking up where you might have left off. So, John, um, what is Oshkosh to you? Well, it's basically everything Gary has said. Um, to me, it's just a, a really fun place to go. Um, it, the sensory overload with the number of the, the different types of aircraft that you see, the, uh, I mean, it, you almost get jaded with the air shows. They become boring because, you know, you, you've seen that extra 300 do flips over the top and, and it's like, okay, that just looks like a radio control airplane. I want to go look at the warbird that, uh that I can walk right up to and look at that, that Corsair and see how the wing folds. And, and that, that to me is where it's really cool. And the access to the aircraft, especially the unusual stuff is just, you never get that anywhere else in the world. And that to me is, that's where I spend my time is in warbirds and in experimentals and just looking at the different technology. Yeah, when I think about it, and this is hard to explain to someone who's never been there, but people that have, this will probably make sense. It, like Gary said, it, if you think back to a small fly-in or a pancake breakfast or a gathering of some of some airplanes or a tight club, it's like every one of those is going on simultaneously on display up and down the flight line. 
whatever it is that that you know is is your particular interest, they've got it there and probably more than you've seen anywhere else. Whether that's in the Warbird area or that's in the the sea of RVs or the Sonics parking area and you want to see how people are are finishing out their airplanes. Whatever particular interest area you have, it will be there in force and you just become overwhelmed with the depth of information that's there. And like you said, if uh, if you feel like you are, are a little disappointed that you didn't get to see everything, well, you're not alone. I've been there a dozen times, and I'm just now starting to kind of get to the point where I think I've got my, my bearings, and uh, I can start kind of ferreting out some of the more interesting and unusual things. The first couple of times, it's so overwhelming. You know, I've been there eight years straight. I've flown in four years. Mike and I went to the sea base for the first time last year just to see what it was because it's a, you got to take a bus and it was kind of cool, but it was like, okay, this isn't for me. I'm not, I'm not a, a float plane kind of guy, but it was kind of neat. It was just like, wow, this is a whole different aspect of Oshkosh that I have never seen. And there are dozens of examples like that stuff that you may only be vaguely aware of. It'll take you years to find all those things. Yeah, but it's, it's worth, it's worth the effort and the hunt. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's always on my list, and it's getting higher and higher every year, is uh, there's so many good forums that, you know, there's hundreds of forums that potentially are interesting. And there's probably a dozen that are really, really interesting. And three or four must sees. And if you're like me, you're lucky if you hit one or two, because you just become overwhelmed with everything going on. You know, in, in doing about forums, if you wanted to get there just to go there for forums, You'll never see another airplane because there's so many forums to to be you know booked on. The first couple of years I did the forums. The next couple of years I didn't do any forums. I just went to sh- to the uh, the vendors and looked at airplanes and things. And the last couple of years I kind of blended it. But there's just so much that y- you're going to get overwhelmed. But just go find a way to get there and go at least once. Yeah, and it's something different to every person. But they absolutely have something for everybody, and a lot of somethings, actually. Yeah, absolutely. But let's talk about how to get there. We know it's 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 massive, and we'll talk more about some of the other things as we go. But we need to get there first. So how do we do that, Jeff? Yeah, I guess if we start on the planning phase, and the planning really starts for this, you know, days, weeks, months in advance, whatever. Um, for many people, they start planning their their next year's trip as soon as they get home and and do some recovery from. This year's trip. That's kind of the way I am. I start taking notes like, okay, next year I want to do this and this and this differently. So that's the start of my, my next year's planning trip. But I think probably the, the responsible thing is right up front to draw people's attention to the notum that EAA publishes about arriving and operating at the show. Uh, the notum is really required reading. If you um, are going to fly into the show, you absolutely have to download the notum. You can get it off of the EA website. You can order a free printed copy if you call up EA or get on the, on the web. Don't leave it at home. Take it with you in the airplane. Oh, yeah. You need to print it out in a booklet format and have it on your kneeboard. Yeah. And the arrival procedures are not that complicated, but there are many variations, and you can't retain all that in memory. You've got to have it in hard copy in front of you. That and the frequencies, and yeah, you need you need printed information right with you all the time. 
Now, a lot of the uh, the EFBs, um, ForeFlight, I think FlyQ, I'm pretty sure WingX, all have the NOTAMs uh, downloadable to your iPad, but you really do need that paper copy. It, it's just so quick to just flip to, especially if you have a co-pilot. Yeah, I would actually, I would always have paper too for that. I mean, I'm an electronics guy, uh, but that NOTAM I do want in paper. Yep. So after kind of reading the NOTAM and digesting uh, the arrival procedures and, and all that stuff, the planning phase for me is about what route am I going to take? So in years past, I have gone from Colorado, I've gone from Kansas City, I've gone from Mississippi. Uh, those are the, well, I came from St. Louis one year. So I've, I've taken a variety of different paths to get there. But it's about, you know, where am I going to stop for fuel? And it's not as simple as just fly until you hit your reserve and then land and gas up and then make the trip. It's really about planning the entire trip to include arriving at the field with the right amount of gas. And we'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail in a, just a little bit on, on that piece. But there's a couple of tools that I like to use. And uh, Gary, um, thanks for this tip. This was years ago. You turned me on to the uh, airnav.com fuel planner website where you can have your start and your end airports and put in some range calculations and fuel burn, and it will plot you a route looking for cheap gas in the database. And I love that thing. Yeah, that was one of the first apps. I mean, it wasn't even an app. It was just an online internet service that did that uh, many years ahead before the uh, EFB started being including some of that kind of features as well. The nice thing about that particular one is it uses a fairly broad routing uh, algorithm. So unlike if you get on the uh, AOPA uh, Internet Flight Planner or ForeFlight or whatever, where it has kind of a corridor approach where you're going to go from A to B and you're going to fly this corridor that's maybe 20 miles wide, it won't necessarily look way off to one side for cheap gas. The AirNav Fuel Planner uses a little bit wider corridor, and it might take you a little bit out of your way, but it shows you how much time it's going to take to fly that little bit of diversion, and then it translates that into how much dollar savings to fly a little bit out of your way to get a whole lot cheaper gas. And you can make a determination. Is $5 worth the extra five minutes? Or, you know, if I, I spend an extra 10 minutes and I save $30, yeah, that's not too bad. I think I'll do that. I'm going to be Debbie Downer on this. We have such a low fuel burn. I just don't care. I'm just going to go wherever I, I'm going to land and it's convenient. It just, the, that, that 20 cents you're going to save is less than I'm going to spend on a beer for Gary at Sap Brothers. That's for sure. Yeah, John, it's, it's not so much the, uh, the dollar saving. It's the, uh, it's the challenge of plotting a really good route to find cheap gas. I understand that. <laughs> if, but if I, was, if I were driving a Meridian, yes. But I'm driving a Sonics that burns six gallons an hour. Come on, guys. Well, it's out there. It's available. Just take a look at it. See what you think. And, uh, and if you're having a hard time with your fuel burn, uh, just call up John, and he will give you his credit card over the phone, and you can gas up wherever you want. As long as you buy my beer at Sap Brothers. <laughs> Okay, so um, so that's that's like the, the the thing that I like to look at as far as my routing. That kind of helps me figure out where am I going to stop. And then another another aspect of where do I want to stop beyond just cheap gas? Certain airports offer discounts, and really they offer the the little niceties, the little kickbacks. So when you you come in there, they've got dogs on the grill, they've got a cooler of drinks. That kind of stuff makes a great fuel stop, and I like to find those little spots. Well, I've, I've found that, as you, especially because I, I only come from Colorado. 
So as we navigate through Iowa, a lot of the FBOs are offering Oshkosh uh, kind of not discounts, but uh, enhancements. And so you land and there's like queso on a, in a crock pot and free water. And it's like, yeah, we, we love you guys. And so fill up with gas and head on out. Unfortunately, there's no master database of all those little spots. So the best advice is um, talk to some of your pilot buddies that have done it before and ask them where do they like to stop. And they've got their favorite little spots and you can kind of start building your own list of options. I'll throw out Fort Dodge, Iowa. Okay. Fort Dodge, Iowa. Yeah. And um, and I like to stop at uh, Portage just outside of Oshkosh. Same thing. They've got a cooler. They've got a table of snacks. They have MoGas there. So if you want to burn some MoGas, um, they got a good price on MoGas. It's just a good stop right outside. They got that Swift gas, which is not just MoGas. It's like really good stuff. Yeah. And our Jabaroos definitely like the lead-free fuel. Uh, I've seen that firsthand. All right. Uh so on the planning, the last thing that kind of comes to my mind is just packing. You know, so you, you take everything you need, you throw all your camping gear and all that. But I I have learned over the years, pack light. Don't take absolutely every piece of kit that you think you're going to need. Make a decision as to what you think you're really definitely going to use. And the stuff that you possibly can use, you might consider just leaving that at home. Because there's going to be neighbors. You can borrow stuff. You can get to the store. You can go to the fly market and pick up something if you forgot it. So pack light. And that includes clothes. You know, plan to buy a, a couple of t-shirts while you're there and, and use that to round out your wardrobe. You're going to need a little extra room coming home for all the goodies that you buy. And all the free stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. And there's a lot of swag to be had out there. Yeah. Well, Gary is notorious for grabbing a bunch of swag, so that's why he bought the Zenith, so he could take it I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to put a belly pot on this thing to bring back the stuff I want. <laughs> well, I'm going to be loading it up with my swag. <laughs> All right, what else? Um, what other things do you guys do in the planning stage? Well, I think that's pretty, you've hit up the, the gist of it. I mean, if we always have some little favorite spots we like to for fuel, but We've talked about cross-country flight planning. I think it's still applicable here. Be sure the airports actually do have fuel at the time that you need it. Uh, so basically, I'm talking about the 24-hour credit card kind of fuel. Uh, always look for multiple cross-runways at airports because uh, we can always get some pretty nasty winds going back and forth cross-country when you start you know, talking about traveling four, five, six hundred, thousand 600,000 miles, 1,500 miles. Uh, you want a lot of good options. So... And even sometimes the fuel is not quite as cheap, uh, but it has those extra touches to it. You know, like maybe somebody on the ground get the courtesy cars or just some backup. It can be worthwhile uh, to pay a couple extra cents in some fuel as well. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, I think especially, you know, going out, we're kind of, you know, planning a, a nice clear day all the way to Oshkosh. But when we're coming back, we don't necessarily have that option. And so we're kind of restricted to the weather, especially at home. I mean, I've come in back from Oshkosh and had almost IMC conditions coming in home. It's like, well, I may have to drop into Lyman and and spend the night. And I don't want to do that, but, I, you know, you just got to be prepared to do it. Yeah. You know, you're 30 miles from home, but I can't get there. Right. Well, let's talk about more more specific to the AirVenture Oshkosh thing. We know we got to get basically to Oshkosh, but as they read the notum, it really the, the approach actually starts uh, about 15 miles out from Oshkosh, and that's really pretty much 15 miles 
southwest of Oshkosh. Uh, the two big uh, flag points or checkpoints to look for is Ripon and then followed by Fisk. And of course, all this is spelled out in the notum. It's, in, it's usually in most of all the GPS databases now uh, because they are recognized FAA fixes. And so basically, as you're flying from anywhere in the country, you're going to start circling up your wagons right around Ripon or so. And they're going to start getting you into a single file following aircraft behind. So it's kind of like, you know, nose to tail. Uh, and that can be a little tricky sometimes, especially with the differences in aircraft speeds. Uh, so don't be concerned about that, but just be very, very cautious about it. You may end up with basically two layers of aircraft. You'll have the slower ones lower and the twins and turboprops <clears throat> will be a little bit higher than you too. And so everyone starts bottling along through there. And your first experience, which is going to be quite different for you, is when you get to these, you'll be listening on frequencies, and there'll be controllers on the ground just trying to identify your aircraft by type, perhaps, uh, or by configuration, such as high wing, low wing, you know, silver plane, white plane, green plane. And so you're not, it's a one-sided conversation, pretty much, if everything goes well. They'll spot you. Uh, they, they may ask you to do something, and you acknowledge that by simply rocking your wings very aggressively, or I shouldn't say aggressively, but uh, don't be timid about it. Put a really good rock in there so they can see that you're really acknowledging the transmission and not just a little bit of light turbulence that you hit. And uh, expect to be called an <clears throat> RV type, not a well, Sonic. Well, called anything, sure, especially if you're flying a Sonic, you'll be called an RV. Actually, I fly my Zenith, they still call me an RV, believe it or not. Uh, but <laughs> I'm I'm working at that uh, honestly, but I'm working at that in my home field. But yeah, everything experimental pretty much is an RV these days, and that's it, that's reasonable. They got ten thousand of them out there, so it, it doesn't. Well, I'm just saying, just expect to be called RV type. Yeah. Don't go, don't get offended. It's just like so you are RV type, low wing or you know red high wing, or whatever it happens to be. So rock your wings and keep on going. Uh, you'll have this followed out in your notes pretty easy. So from Ripon, you, you progress towards Fisk, and Fisk is kind of like the last decision point for the controllers. Uh, they're in contact with Oshkosh Towers, and they, they're, they're watching the flow of traffic, and from there, they start dividing aircraft up. Um, there's almost simultaneously two runways in use uh, in different directions at Oshkosh, uh, assuming the winds are cooperative. So you may be issued a, a northern route, or you may be issued more of an easterly route. Uh, to get to the airport. And so the same thing, he'll say, you know, Silver Sonics proceed on the Fisk Avenue or the east-west transition or, you know, take the railroad up towards the northeast and you rock your wings and off you go. And then from there, of course, you start listening to the towers. Same kind of process with the towers. Uh, you're not telling them who you are and where you are. They're just going to say, Silver Sonics on downwind, you know, plan to land at the pink dot or or green dot, or blue dot, or whatever it happens to be, you simply rock your wings, uh, and you go ahead and proceed from there. Uh, probably the biggest thing that I think all of us have seen, and we've seen this in all kinds of aircraft, whether we're talking about uh, the very low, slow Piper Cub styles, or even those guys that come in with the, with the multi-engine jets. Um, in this environment, it can be a lot of pilot distraction. Uh, you really need to be a little bit brushed up, I would say, on your minimal controllable airspeed flights, uh, flight at the low regime, being able to multitask, looking outside, 
uh, not spending a lot of time looking inside the cockpit because uh, you need to be looking for aircraft. You need to be looking at your environment, figuring out where you are on, on downwind base, where those dots are, where you need to land, looking for conflicting aircraft. And sometimes it does happen even though the controllers and they got multiple controllers scanning these skies. Uh, you can get some conflict, so just keep your eyes out. But watch your speeds. It's easy, especially on that base to final. We've seen it time and time again at almost every year at Oshkosh. No matter what's flying, something gets behind the power curve and ends up digging it into the ground. And it makes for a bad day for everybody. So get real comfortable with slow flight, uh, pilot distractions. Really have a great idea what that NOTAM is asking you to do. So you're not trying to figure it out there at the last second and then just kind of proceed from there. So one thing I always like to talk about is make sure you, you have plenty of fuel when you arrive at Oshkosh. And this is why I like to stop at Portage and fill up. Uh, it's only a 20 minute flight or so. Um, so I have most of a full tank when I get there. I could stretch it and, uh, and have, you know, basically um, 30, 45 minutes of fuel and, and land. But that doesn't leave you any contingency if there's a mass arrival coming in, if there's a, a temporary closure on the airport because of a, an incident or weather, or you just have to, you know, divert because they're something unforeseen. Give yourself plenty of options. Come in with a full tank of gas, and um, you never know when you're going to get sent over to a holding pattern like what happened to us a couple years ago when the big weather storm blew through the middle of, of the airport and everybody was being sent to a hold someplace. So we held for uh, about an hour one year waiting to get in. And that was around Green Lake when you and I went, yep. I think. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Well, the other benefit of going in with, with full tanks is you don't have to refuel at, at the show. You can come back out and go back to Portage to, uh, to refuel for your trip home. Or somewhere else, yeah. But just at least have a reasonable amount of fuel, and don't don't expect to get in there with the minimums. Yeah. Um, there are several days that you ought to be aware of as far as the the big arrivals. So the day uh, the show formally opens on Monday. However, most people are already on the grounds prior to Monday. Sunday is a really big GA and and home built uh, arrival day. Going back even earlier, Saturday is a big arrival day for the early comers and all the mass arrivals. So starting at about 12 o'clock, they have a series of mass arrivals. And these are 100 plus airplanes that come in in groups. So they start at 12 and they're going to be running until at least about 3 o'clock on Saturday. So if um, if you come barreling in at 1.30, right in the middle of the Bonanza's arrival, you're not getting in. They're going to send you over to the Green Lake Hold and you're going to hold there until they can maybe squeeze you in or until the arrival's over. And you may have to be prepared to hold or go back and land and wait it out. If you get there on Monday, uh, traffic is still pretty heavy, but it's starting to, to lighten up as most people are arriving. And then by Tuesday, things are looking pretty good. Uh, Wednesday is pretty light on arrivals. And by Thursday, people are already starting to kind of break camp and, and head out. And so traffic is starting to go out rather than coming in. Yeah, but the problem with those later days um, is the air show, they, they shut down the airspace for the air show. So you have to get in there by, what, 1 p.m., I think? Yeah, plan to be there before noon on the, on the daily air shows. So noon to 3 o'clock, I would just forget it. Yeah. A couple of things um, come to mind as far as, like, the NOTAM. 
Gary, you hit on a whole bunch of these these really good tips. But um, one of the things that can be very disorienting if you haven't done any sort of even loose formation work flying as a flight of two is that when they talk about a half mile trail spacing, that's pretty close. And and most of the time when you're flying around in, in a pattern, you're really not that close to the guy in front of you. Now, when you're just flying along the railroad tracks, not a big deal. But when you're on downwind and the tower is turning him on base, and then shortly after he turns you on to base, and you're thinking, man, I am creeping up on that guy in front of me, that can be a big distraction in the airplane. Now, with a little bit of experience, you realize you know, that you're not necessarily going to run over that airplane in front of you. But if you haven't done that at all, might be worthwhile to go out and just practice that, you know, follow a plane in the pattern and get used to, you know, going in a little bit closer than normal, what that sight picture looks like. Do a little bit of mental prep for that aspect of it. Yeah, they do. They're operating under waivers where they can operate multiple aircraft on the same runway at the same time. And and the guy in front of you, a half mile ahead of you, which might turn into a quarter mile, he's landing at the dot in front of you. And so you're both landing at the same time on the same runway and it's safe, but they, they, you know, and then expect a a flagman to run out on the runway to flag you off the runway, right? As you landed so that you're off because there's a guy right behind you landing on the same dot you just did. And the controllers will be talking, you know, they will, they will give you instructions to clear the runway. If you're taking too long, there's someone behind you. Um, you, you ought to have the presence of mind to understand what they're trying to accomplish and, uh, and be alert for that, but not necessarily distracted by it. You still need to land under control and, uh, and clear the runway safely. I was just thinking about a particular uh, bouncy arrival one year, but uh, I guess we won't go into that. Well, that was a Tigger arrival. That's the famous yeah. Tigger arrival. <laughs> That's, that you repeated at at uh, Reclaw. Well, you know, uh, I was uh, I was testing a theory, and uh, by God, yep, that's that's what happened. So yeah, you landed four times at Oshkosh in one year. <laughs> yeah, but I'm way ahead of you now. So <laughs> the uh, the last thing is when you are coming on short final, don't be surprised that the environment is going to be very chaotic. There'll be planes on the runway that are slowing and getting ready to turn into the grass. There may be traffic that is taxing across the runway. So you're landing east-west and there's a couple of planes that have been holding and they're going to dart across in front of you to get south and uh, and get into their parking. Uh, you have to take all that in stride. If it's, uh, if it's overwhelming, you're going to have to be ready to make the decision to just abort and go around and come at it for another try. But don't automatically pull the trigger on aborting. Just take it all in stride. Make sure you maintain it. You control your airplane. And it usually, for the vast majority of, of arrivals, it works out just fine. Everybody does the right thing, works together, and it works perfectly. Uh, last year, Mike and I came in as a flight of two and right before the air show, and they aborted us right on short final to say a IFR of uh, what phenom or some sort of corporate jet was coming in right behind us. And we got a great view of the entire air show as we went around and it was kind of fun actually. And then came in behind the phenom. So, um, it, yeah, expect everything and ex- and it's fine. They don't yell at you. It's just, you got to go around guys, you know, you too, RV type of two go around. And we got a great view of, uh, Oshkosh. 
as we went around and came in behind it. And John, like you said, they don't send you way back out to Ripon or Fisk and make you come at it all around. You just go right around, sequence right back into the downwind and come back in and land. It takes like two minutes. Oh yeah, it was it was actually kind of super sweet, and I was really happy that Mike was in front because he was the the lead, and I was just uh, as a wingman coming in. But remember, guys, these patterns are only like a half mile. Uh, they're not your typical couple of miles out, so you're going to be right right next to the runways uh, for all of your turns. So if you start if you start watering out out over the lake, you can get lost and you'll have a hard <laughs> time getting back in. Oh, they'll have a hard time sequencing it back in. And that's something that I hear every year. And they talk about, you know, turn base before you get to the lake. And and people don't do it. And pretty soon they're way out over the lake. And the controllers are trying to reel everybody back in to the shoreline. So just know that going in. If you're over the water, you're probably not where you really need to be. Nope, you're lost. (laughs) And, And to tell you the truth, you know, the four times I've flown in as pilot in command, I've had one go around, and it wasn't my fault. It was Mike's, and uh, you know, because we got in the way of a uh, phenom. Uh, every other approach was real stable, and it wasn't a problem. So it's not scary. It's just overwhelming. So just remember, you're going to land. You're going to probably exit under the grass rather than paved runways. Be careful of taxiway lights. Uh, even though there's flagmans there, they're not always necessarily watching your airplane for those taxiway lights. Is still pretty much your responsibility. Um, so you know, check your aircraft, make sure your tires are good. Um, if you if you fly something that you know that you really can't handle the grass, it, it could be problematic. Um, you know, you I, I suppose the worst case scenario is just you'd have to tell tower, you'd actually have to speak up and say, you know, I can't do grass, and, and they would probably put you at a dot that thereafter you would turn off on pavement. So if that's really an issue for you, you know, you may just need to speak up and let them know. Well, I think all Sonics should be able to do the grass. It's just if you're not comfortable with it, well, maybe it's not the place for you. So, again, talking about taxi, um, unlike other airfields where you clear the runway and you stop and you reconfigure and you get organized and call ground control, you don't do any of that on the grounds at AirVenture. You clear the, the runway into the grass, you follow the directions of the tip flagman, and they're going to shoo you off to parking just as quick as they can. So you got to have your printed out uh, location or your destination signs ready to go. So if you're going to the show plane parking over by the, the Sonics booth, you need to have your, your home-built parking sign ready to go. You can flash it in the window. Or if you're going to camping over at Camp Sonics, you got to have your home-built camping sign ready to go. So print that out. Figure out where you're going. Print them out in advance and have them ready so that as soon as you clear the runway and the flagmen are looking at you like, where are you going? You can show them where you're going. I'm going to be flashing my Camp Sonics sign just to kind of make the point. Yes, and we will put some signs in the show notes. It'll say, home-built camping Sonics. And if you show them that, if all goes well, we will get the word out to the flagmen that that takes you directly to Camp Sonics, and we'll work that out. But and I'll have some additional instructions in the show notes on exactly where Camp Sonics is and all that. We won't go into it here, but check the show notes, and it'll give you as much details as we have. Uh, the only time you really need to talk to ground control is if you want to do something unusual. So, for example, you're landing at Oshkosh, and you want to go over to the homecoming. 
and the flagmen are going to try to shoo you over to parking, and you got to be able to tell them, no, I don't want to go to parking. I want to go to the other side of the airfield to go over to the Sonics headquarters. So there's a there's a sign for that, and we'll put a link to the Sonics homecoming arrival procedures. But essentially, you need to have a sign that says, I want to go to the East T-Hangers, and then the flagman will understand, oh, he's not going to parking on the normal show. He's going to the other side. Uh, if you happen to fly or or you want to taxi over to the uh, the Sonics Foundation Barbecue at Wayne Daniels' house at 7th Heaven, he's on the south side of the airfield, and you're going to need a sign and work that out with ground control on how you're going to get there because the flagmen are not necessarily going to know that. So just your unusual requests, you may need to work that out with ground control or uh, just kill the engine, have a flagman come over and have a quick chat with him and tell him what you're trying to do. And then once he relays to the other flagman, they can get you going in the right direction. All right. So why don't we talk about the show now? How do you get around? What do you do? Let's say we've already parked, we put our tent up and we're ready to start, start investigating the air vent. Well, yeah. And, and I guess one thing I would like to say is, um, camping has really improved in the last few years. So if you park in home-built camping, it used to be a little sparse, but now they've got nice flush toilets, they've got shade pavilions close by, they've got shower trailers. It's really, really gotten nice. Yep, it's getting better every year, especially with that new uh, permanent structure they put up. It should be really nice. Well, plus they have shuttle service for home-built campers to the main show. In those, That's what I want to start talking about. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so what, what John's just starting to talk about is something called the Welcome Wagon. And it's not where they just have a beer for you, but basically they've taken a couple of minivans and cut the tops off and put two large bench seats on, on either side of the where the cargo area would normally be. And there's a telephone number. When you check in as you land, you'll eventually have to go register your aircraft and get your, you know, pay your fees for your camping and the air show attendance and you'll pick up some swag there and you know i flew my home built to oshkosh and all that kind of good stuff uh, but there's also a number there poster for the welcome wagon put that into your cell phone so basically what you can do is say welcome wagon i'm in home built camping row 241 uh with silver sonics and i'd like a ride please over to the exhibit hangar a Eventually, it may take just a little bit of time, but you'll see these cut-off minivans come around with a bunch of bench seats and, you know, old geezers usually sitting in there, and they'll pick you up and take you over to Exhibit Hangar A. It's really a sweet deal. They typically have you know, ice-cold water in there. Um, the only thing they do, they have a little tip jar there, so it's nice if you put a little bit of tip in there, and that's just for the operating expenses of the van, pay for the gas and the oil and all that kind of stuff, because all the services are still provided by volunteers. So that's one of the first and easiest, best ways to get started around a little bit. And I'll just point out that many uh, of the volunteers do the same jobs year after year. They kind of find their spot that they like, and they get really good at them. So if you have questions, you can usually ask those volunteers, and they have a wealth of information. Several Sonics builders and pilots work in the welcome, uh, the home-built welcome center. So if you get there and you say, hey, uh, I'm uh, one of the Sonics family and I just arrived, uh, they're going to hook you up because of uh, one of the clan. Amen. So the welcome wagon is one thing to do it. It's, it's a little bit, like I said, it does take a little bit of time sometimes. And, it, you know, they can get delayed, but it's really, really, really nice uh, option. So the next thing is you probably have already read when you look at some of these notums anyway, especially about Oshkosh. 
other ground transportations. And you're going to need ground transportation guys. Use as I, I agree. I'm a crippled old geezer. I really like them. But even even that being said, we are talking about miles and miles and miles of hoofing it. You're going to get whooped and you're going to get whooped bad if you don't start taking transportation when you can. There are all kinds of trams, uh, big, long, snaky trams pulled by big old green John Deere tractors. And, and these things go over most of the area. There's a lot of those like little tram stops, just like little bus stops. Find those on your maps if you can and hop a ride. They're usually only a few minutes apart because they've got so many of them operating throughout the environment. So we have a welcome wagon. We have trams. You, you certainly have your feet. There are no bicycles on the inside, so we can't. If you take a bicycle, you won't be able to use it inside the, the Air Adventure. Uh, the only thing they're allowing for personal mobility items are those that are like three and four wheel, like handicap accessible type mobile devices. I've taken one of my own for, for many years, especially when I drove, and it's excellent way to get around. Uh, even people that were, don't normally need them, they just kind of look at it and they just start drooling and ask you where you got it from, whether it was your own or you rented it. And so that brings me to the next thing. If you do need some extra mobility and, and, and the trams aren't going to quite meet all of your needs, they do have a mobility scooter service there that have like the big four-wheel um, handicap uh, electric scooters that you can rent on a daily basis. Little pricey. It's about sixty-five bucks a day, uh, but you can get them in the morning, turn them in about five o'clock at the end of the day, and and you can tool around that. And that's a really nice way to get around as well. Uh, so there are options. Every once in a while, you might actually hitch a ride in a golf cart uh, with one of the EA staff or something like that. But that that's pretty rare. That's not real typical. You'll see a lot of golf carts running around, but mostly those are for vendors. Uh, or like I said, EA staff trying to get around and, and and get all the services done and coordination of things that need to be done. So uh, if you're going to do it yourself, you can walk it, you can welcome wagon it, you can take the trolleys, um, or you can get a, a mobility scooter. Yeah, Gary, and those scooters are really are a good deal. Even though they are a bit pricey on the per day rental fee, uh, that really opens up the entire ground. So if you have any concerns about getting tired or or not being able to walk around a show that large, do yourself a favor and go rent one. Even if it's just for one or two days and you kind of space it out throughout your trip, it's going to open up and, and make it accessible to get around and see the show. Money well spent. Yeah, from one end to the other. And again, we're talking miles, guys. I, I can't keep stressing this enough. We are talking miles of walking just one way. So, Gary, the other thing uh, is the bus service. Uh, in the parking lot, they have uh, a central bus drop-off point, and these buses run all over the place. Some are buses over to the dorms at University of Wisconsin where people are staying. Some go to local shopping areas like the Walmart and the Target across the street. But there is a variety of places you can go to. So if you need to make a Walmart run and go get some drinks and some extra camping gear or bug spray and, and bottled water, whatever – Go to the bus drop-off point, jump on a bus, and and take it into town and get your supplies. Well, also, uh, right outside of camping, they've started uh, Uber service. So if you are uh, inclined to just want your own private ride, you can go call an Uber. And uh, the the locals have uh, adopted Uber as a uh, way to make some extra money. 
and we'll take you wherever you want to go. Yeah, and the distances that you're going to be driving are just a few miles. So once you're in a car, it doesn't take long to get anywhere. It's just a matter of having access to that car. Uber is a great option for that. Yeah. Well, so is Bob Micah, and he's always available and uh, just going to be calling. <laughs> so uh, we'll uh, we'll put a, a link to Bob's phone number in the show notes. And so if you need a personal manservant and or taxi, Bob's your guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, um, Gary, you talked about some of the things we like to do, you know, in addition to just the, the campgrounds and stuff like that. Um, for me, a lot of the fun is the experience of being on the grounds, even after the show ends. You have just your, your neighbors in the campground and walking up and seeing and talking to people and that have flown in from all over and hearing their stories and looking at their airplanes. Or a personal favorite walking over to the SOS Brothers, the beer tent, which is right outside the grounds, just uh, on your way to the parking lot. And um, that's a great place. They have good food, uh, uh, sandwiches, uh, barbecue sandwiches, and and smoked chicken, and corn on the cob, and and uh, a full bar. Nice atmosphere. And, and the the view is wonderful. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a chance to enjoy some local Midwest hospitality. John's talking about the girls, guys. Let's don't get euphemistic. <laughs> hey, I'm just talking, talking about, about the, going up and grabbing you another, another beer because you asked me to yeah, do it. Know. He's talking about the girls in the bikinis, guys, but that's okay. <laughs> but no, there's lots of things to do, not only during the air show, but after the air show. Even if you get there early, I typically get there on Saturdays, and you're thinking, well, what are you going to do? The air show is not really officially opened. If you get there on Saturday, it's a great time to go over to the EA Museum. I believe it's a world-class aviation museum. Uh, it's just phenomenal, the aircraft they got in there, uh, the, the, the degrees and painstaking ways they've gone to, to make the displays and the exhibits. Uh, they have movie theaters in there and just all kinds of stuff over there. And so you could go and spend a whole day or two over there at the EA uh, Air Museum and the Pioneer Air Ground where they have helicopter rides and and things of that nature. So, you know, for uh, an extra 45 bucks or so, you could go flying like one of those MASH helicopters, those Bell 48s with the big bubbles. It's only like a five-minute ride. I took my wife on one when she went with me, and all I could hear in the video was her giggling and laughing all the time. Uh, she just thoroughly loved that helicopter ride. Uh, I'll second that with Gary. Is the the EA Museum is is by far one of the better aviation museums I've ever been in, and you need to really at least do it once if you're yeah. there. And you know, John's already talked about the the seaplane base. You know, you may not do that on your first year, but eventually, uh, take time. You know, go out there and spend an hour or two just to see it. Uh, it it's worthwhile doing. Um, you know. <sighs> It's just hard. It's just hard to keep up with everything. You know, most of the time we find somebody who is still in the process of building their project, and so they're not quite ready to fly in. So they drive instead. If you can hook up with a fellow buddy like that, that's got ground transportation. Whoa! Now you're talking about going, you know, outside the premises for dinners and drinks and beers and and ice creams and and just you know really expands things up as well. So. Um, you're not really going to be, you know, you're not going to be bored looking for something to do. The only trouble you have with Oshkosh and your adventure is trying to decide what you want to do uh, because it's just so much to do. It is just overwhelming. So some of the things on my personal list that I'm looking forward to, 
I've done some of these in the past, and I'm going to try to do them again this year. Uh, we talked about SOS Brothers, but there's that new pavilion in Homebuilt Camping, and they do a couple of little informal parties there. They do a beer exchange where you bring a six-pack and throw it in the tub and sit around and talk to everybody else and over a brew. Uh, that's a That was a good time last year. Looking forward to that. There are some really cool restaurants in the area that we went to. Um, we've gone to Chester V's. We had a little get together last year about that. That's a Chester V's is a local hangout for the Monettes. And so the, the rest of the, the Sonics crew over at the, the factory, uh, it's right down the street from the factory. And so they go there all the time. So we may try to get over to Chester V's again during the week. We had a great little local pub and this is just one of dozens that are there. It was Pete's garage bar, cool little, uh, local atmosphere, um, just the right type of crowd to kind of make it fun and informal and good food, kind of greasy bar food, which is always good. They have an RC air show several nights, maybe every night this year, and it's over at the ultralight strip. It's right around dusk, and they have these big third-scale RC aerobats, and they've got lights on them and smoke system, and they do some really world-class RC air show performances. Just really, really good. I only caught part of it last year. I want to go watch a, a full a full show this year. They have the opening day concert there at the, the main square. That'll be right after the air show on Monday. But stick around. Don't race off for dinner. Stick around and listen to the band play. I, I don't recall who's playing this year, but it's always a, a recognized, touring, you know, well-known band. This is not a garage band. This is a national act. And they bring them in and they do a, a great job every year. The museum is a, is a must-do. Even if you don't get there every year, you got to put it on your rotation. So if you're, you get it every other year, something. But you got to go there and at least check it out. And then the inflatable fly-in theater. Uh, every night, starting at about 8 or 9 o'clock, they, uh, they have a, an aviation-themed movie or sometimes like a Disney movie that they will project on this five-story tall inflatable movie screen. they got free popcorn and you bring your chair and blanket and stake out a spot and watch a cool movie. So they're going to be doing the uh, Spitfire movie this year, I think on Monday after the, the, the concert. So that, that'd be pretty cool to go sit there and watch that. You know, another thing I really enjoyed, especially when I was uh, even doing driving and camping because it was more on that side, is Theater in the Woods. Um, Theater in the Woods is a big open pavilion style thing with uh, you know great sound systems and, and AV formats and and they'll have a variety of presentations in the evenings there and you can you you can find people from it's it's hard to say let's just say for example I mean you could have the Chuck Yeager types or you know back when Bob Hoover was alive he'd be there you'd have you know those type of notoriety people. You know, uh, last year or two when I was there, uh, they had basically the commanders from Desert Storm talking about the Air Force operations and what was going on with that and the experiences over there. And that kind of stuff, I, I just found absolutely enthralling. And, and it was funny watching, seeing these guys that I used to watch for, you know, night after night after night on CNN, you know, sitting right up there in front of you just talking about their experiences and you can ask them questions and and get all kinds of formats and presentations and information like that. So that's something I've always always try to look at and see what they're having for theater in the woods, because uh, sometimes they just have some phenomenal presentations. I think last year they did one from Apollo 13 and and talking about those that as, as episodes and what was happening with that. So you get to talk to people that that you knew about, but never really thought you'd be able to get up close to and actually actually ask them questions. So. 
that's always a great venue too. John, what are you looking forward to most this time? I'm I'm just looking forward to uh, I don't know. I'm just gonna I'm, I'm only gonna go out for a couple of days uh, because I've seen most everything I want to see. I really love warbirds, and I love looking at the technology that they used back in the war, or back in World War II, to uh, to get these these absolutely beautiful aircraft to work. And that just that's fascinates me. So I spend most of my time warbirds. Actually, I don't even go to the to the vendors too much anymore, except for the guys that I have uh, commitment with, like MGL Avionics or Jabiru or something like that. So, yeah, you're going to see me up north in the Warbird area. Gary, what's going to be your highlight, do you think? One of the things, you, you mentioned the ultralight area, and I'm not sure a lot of people really pay too much attention to it, especially if we're in the bigger aircraft. But it's a great little place to go see. I like to get up really early one morning and start heading down that way. Typically, I'll start with the Red Barn, which is basically like a grocery store uh, for Camp Scholar and pick up a couple of, or more Krispy Kreme donuts as I'm heading, making my way down towards the ultralight area. Uh, get there early in the morning where there's you know, kind of sometimes dew still on the grass. and uh, It's just, it's, it's relatively, it seems quiet and peaceful uh, compared to what the rest of the day is going to be like. So the sun's just coming up, and you know the light airplanes are just starting to get started a little bit. So I, I find that kind of relaxing and interesting to do as well. And I'm really looking forward to the Wednesday night party over at Wayne's. That is such a cool location. You're underneath the the turnaround point for the night air show. It's a really unique perspective. We'll watch the subsonics fly. We'll watch Aeroshell do their, their smoke and light routine. Just a really, really cool location. Great party. Get a chance to see all the Sonics folks and, and just uh, hang out and socialize. For me, that's uh, that's always a highlight. I'm really looking forward to that again this year. But he actually hosts it, and he has a through-the-fence environment home there where he can basically taxi his airplane right out into Oshkosh. Um, so, but anyway, he hosts the Friday, the Wednesday night parties for us. Uh, make reservations. Let them know that you're coming. Uh, usually there's a nominal fee, like five bucks or something like that. will cover some of the food costs. Um, the next thing I would really suggest, uh, wear a long sleeve and long pants and bring the bug spray. Uh, those mosquitoes will eat your ass up over there some days. And bring camp chairs because there's only so many at his house. Yes. Yeah, but for those of us who fly Sonics in, we don't have camp chairs. So I do. Well, you have a Zenith, so I, I brought a camp chair. You can take mine. <laughs> I have like several camp chairs because I usually just buy one at Walmart every year for five bucks, and then it either uh, gets stuffed in the back of the airplane and comes home, or it gets donated. You know. So let's go to that topic a little bit. Actually, I've flown my Sonics in. I took the bus over to the uh, Goodwill right off the Oshkosh base, and you can buy an, a, uh, a bicycle for 25 bucks, and then give it back to them at the end of the, the program. So that's one uh, option. And also uh, camp chairs. So think about that if you're flying in in your Sonics. Yeah, that's a good idea, too. Remember, the bicycles are outside the event. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, wrapping the week up and when it's time to, to pack up and, and, and head out. What are the, uh, the things that people ought to be aware of and what are the tips for getting out of there cleanly? Boy, I tell you, the, the ground environment there is tough. 
first of all, they're going to have restrictions on the time that you can actually start cranking up. There'll be times, though, even though when the airport is officially opened up again, you hear everyone cranking up. Um, there's really no real chatter on ground control yet. Uh, frequently, because these, again, volunteers running, uh, sometimes the flagmans aren't actually there yeah. for about another hour as well, too. Yeah, but yeah, you have to yeah. frequently. You have yourself on how to get where you need to go. Yeah, um, frequently we've uh, we've packed up and fired up at 7 a.m., which is when the airport opens, and taxied out without any kind of ground control all the way through Warbirds to the line and waited until we just decided to go ahead and taxi down for takeoff. Yeah, if you look carefully at the NOTAM, I mean, it looks like you're crossing runway environments and normally you would be, uh, but they do have different color codes there. If you check that NOTAM, uh, a good significant portion, particularly the northern aspect of runway uh, of 36, um, is is not is considered a non-movement area. In other words, you can just taxi without clearances, without flagmen and so forth, but be very careful of your surroundings and make sure you know exactly where you're going to go. Uh, but there are instances where you do actually cross typical runways to get to where you need to for your departure uh, intersection takeoffs. And I should mention, there is a departure ATIS that will tell you when the airport opens up, if there is any sort of restriction in place or any of that stuff. It'll also update you on frequencies and uh, the departure procedures. So give that a listen before you crank up and head out. And I've only left uh, prior to at least uh, 7 a.m., so I don't know what the procedures are after things wake up. Well, then you have the flagman directing you, so it's a little bit easier. But if you're one of the earlier scrambles, you could be doing it pretty much by yourself. But when they do start waking up and then they're directing you again, you'll be using uh, multiple aircraft on the same runway, uh, taking off in staggered staggered positions. So. You know, they may tax you out there and you'll have two of you just lined up, sitting there ready to go. And then they'll just basically flag you off and off you go. And they're going to want you to follow uh, certain headings, depending on the runways that you're doing, for a specified distance to kind of keep everybody in order. And then it becomes a scramble. Everyone takes off or home in their different directions. So, again, note them, note them, note them, note them. Read it, reread it, highlight it, print it, carry it with you. Don't forget it. Yeah, generally when you take off, they're going to give you, or the NOTAM says you can have to take this heading after uh, departure and until you exit the uh, class Delta airspace, and then you're on your own. So the last thing I'll add is plan your refueling way in advance. Don't wait until you want to leave to try to call the fuel truck over. Uh, everybody will get that thing uh pretty well booked up and you might have uh, a wait. It could be a couple of hours until they manage to get back over to you. So if the fuel truck comes by shortly after you land and get your tent up, fill up early. And if you see it in the area and you know you need to get gas, take advantage of it and fill up. Don't wait until the very end. All right, guys. Well, I think uh, that ought to be a really good primer for people to um, kind of get a, a concept of what's involved in getting there and and hopefully how to camp and move around the field a little bit easier. After you've done it once or twice, you kind of get your own rhythm and flow. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't even touch on. And um, if you're going to camp in Camp Shoulder, it's a very different experience. So we'll save that for another time. But um, it's super easy no matter what you do. Once you get there, get your camp set up. Uh, 
everything's just comes together. Just getting there is the only intimidating part. After you're there, it's all good. Yep. Well, I'll put some links to uh, things I think are good references. I'll put that in the show notes. There are a few things on there. Of course, the EA website, it has all of their published information on the show and the schedule and the tips, things like details on camping and services available. It has a link to the NOTAM. I'll put that on there as well. EAA does a webinar each year that talks about the arrival and the NOTAM and some of the changes from previous years. I was listening to that earlier. It's about an hour long, really good webinar. It kind of give you an idea on what to expect. But one of the things that jumped out at me is the NOTAM changes every year. So of the 31 pages in this year's NOTAM, 27 have changed from last year's NOTAM. Some of them are minor changes, but every page just about is changing in some way. So you got to go back and you got to just brush up on this year's NOTAM. Don't assume that it's the same as last year's. Yeah, we're perseverating about this NOTAM, but take it real seriously. You want that NOTAM and you want to know what it says. You know, one other thing we talk about, I should say, don't forget the EA app, uh, if, for those of you who like apps. It basically gives you everything that's going to be going on for the week as far as uh, whether we're talking about forums, seminars, workshops, you know, where things are located, times of air shows, yada, yada, yada. You know, think about downloading that app if you have a device that can do that. And, and it's really helpful for if you, I'm trying to find MGL Avionics and I don't know where they are. Yeah, but they actually geolocate you, and some of them will actually just you know take you right along the way to get there. So, if you still want more information, you can get on Google and just search uh, AirVenture Oshkosh tips or things like that. You'll find all kinds of discussion forum posts. You'll find tip sheets that various people have put together. Uh, I found a pretty good article in Air and Space Magazine. I'll put a link in there. And then Mike Smith, fellow Sonics builder and podcast guest, he hosted some foreign visitors that um, came over and. And he wrote up a real nice little tip sheet that laid out Oshkosh. And I'll put a link to his tip sheet uh, in the show notes as well. So there's lots of good information out there. And just uh, search around a little bit and you can find um, anything that you're particularly interested in digging in a little deeper. To include, if you want to see the arrival from the cockpit, there are a bunch of YouTube videos and some right on the EAA's website that show you exactly what the arrival from those various directions is going to look like. So you can fly in in advance. All right, guys, I think that probably just about wraps up our, uh, our tips episode. Uh, I appreciate you guys rolling out the, uh, the background of accumulated knowledge. It's always good to kind of hear how you guys approach things. I, I learn something every time, and so hopefully some of the listeners will pick up some, some good things to consider for their next trip. It'd be a good time. It's always a good time. You know, sometimes the weather's not as nice as we like it, but uh, every time we get finished with it many of us think gosh i'm so tired i don't know if i'm going to come back next year but uh every time i do that uh, a couple months later i'm already drooling and and ready to go back again so it's just physical exhaustion talking at the time you're going to want to go back and back and back gary it took me 11 months before i said i'm going to go back and now i'm I'm excited so (laughs) i'm going back good good and also, I want to I want to say, people that are intimidated about doing the approach, it, yes, the first time you do it is extremely intimidating. Um, but once you have done it and it, and seen it and experienced it, it's not that bad. But yeah, I understand the first time is really bad, or really uh, nerve wracking. And definitely don't let that deter you from going. Um, it's not that hard. 
and you'll get through it just like the other 11,000 people that make it. Yeah. No, you'll, you'll land and you go, wow, that was really fun. Actually, it was kind of interesting. It's not what I normally fly, but it's wow. That was, that was interesting and it's safe. I, I really do believe they do a safe, uh, they, they have a safe process. Well, in the last couple of things that come to my mind, getting there and uh, and getting situated and going and seeing the various exhibits and, and all the cool things to see, that's only part of the experience. It's it's made infinitely better if you reach out to others, if you, you go meet your campsite neighbors, um, you meet some people in a forum, uh, get to know where they're coming from, their projects, their background. It really broadens your horizons. It introduces you to new ideas. And it leverages these little tips and tricks and the knowledge that these other people have. So go out there and reach out. And then above all, just go there with an open mind. Stay flexible. Enjoy the moment. Don't get too bogged down in trying to plan your trip down to the the nth degree. Go into it with an atmosphere of I've, I've laid a good foundation and I'm going to adapt as I need to. It really is a, a fun, dynamic experience. If you've got a little bit of type A in you, it can be a little hard to maybe relinquish a little bit of that control. But give it a shot. It's a great time. I think you will enjoy it. It's so overwhelming that you just need to step back and say, okay, I'm going to take this in the one, one bite per year. And you'll come back every year for the next 20. All right. Well, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, our buddy Mike Niedenthal and then uh, Dave Misner and Mike Smith, who all sent in various Oshkosh tips and, and how they approach it. And a lot of those same ideas you'll see reflected in here. So thanks, guys. Appreciate that. And uh, I encourage anybody else that has input to podcast episodes, uh, send us an email and we'll try to roll that stuff in helps round out our perspectives if you guys tell us some of the things that are on your mind. So keep doing that. All right, well, our next episode is going to be from the campground, from Camp Sonics. That'll be our Oshkosh update. And the plan now is to either do that Tuesday evening or possibly Thursday evening. But either way, we'll do it from Camp Sonics in the evening after everything is kind of settled down. You're more than welcome to come on by and, and participate with us. If you uh, if you definitely know you're going to be there, send me an email and just give me a heads up or just simply drop in. We'd love to have you. In. And we'll talk about how things are going, some of the highlights that we see, and hopefully some, some reports of some interesting Sonic-specific stuff, if we can find it. You can find us on the web at sonicsflight.com. The show notes, as always, are sonicsflight.com slash 39. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Send us an email. Tell us what you think. If you have an idea for a show or a suggestion or a guest topic, um, we'd love to hear about it. And with that, I look forward to seeing you guys at Oshkosh in just about another week. And hopefully, uh, we'll have a little impromptu Sonics flight get-together in Camp Sonics. Yep, sir. Forward to it. We're going to have to uh, relax our uh, our standards and let a zenith in, but I'm okay yeah. with that. As long as he parks over my plane to protect me from hail and wind. <laughs> well, you know, we, we all bring something to the experience. John, I have come to find out that uh, most of us, what we do is we just make you look good. So there you have that.
Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, John needs all the help he can get. Uh, definitely. All right, guys. Good to talk to you, and uh, I will see you all very soon. You guys have a, a great, great afternoon. Fly safe, and we'll see you at Oshkosh. All right, guys. We'll talk to you a little later. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.